I'm Adam Coleman, inviting you to the fifth season of The Cosmic Library from LitHub. This season, we go on our tiniest reading adventure yet, into short stories in the U.S. But this too turns out to be almost all-encompassing. I think short stories are essentially brief encounters with felt life. That's Oxford literary scholar Andrew Kahn, who gives us a deep history of the short story. And we hear from The New Yorker's Deborah Treisman, who explains her work as an editor of short fiction. You know, if you are melding with another person, you don't turn that person into you, but you get to know the ins and outs of that person. So, and it's, it's sort of like that. I always feel involved with the stories. We bounce around between the history and current life of short stories with the novelist Justin Taylor. The nice thing about it going out of fashion is that it really frees you up to relate to it in a different way. This being the Cosmic Library, we make sure to go way beyond U.S. short stories, too. Here's the Washington Post critic, Becca Rothfeld. A lot of Kafka short stories, I think, gesture at or describe um, sort of nightmarish geographies or architectures. And the actor Max Gordon Moore reminds us just how wild short stories can be. With a reading in its entirety of Wakefield, the intensely strange, classic Nathaniel Hawthorne story. He had contrived, or rather he had happened, to dissever himself from the world, to vanish. Get ready for all that and more in a season about short stories, small windows into vast universes. It's season five of The Cosmic Library, available soon wherever you go for podcasts. I'm Mitchell Kaplan, and I want to welcome everyone to The Literary Life. My guest this afternoon is Nana Kwame Ajay Brenya. Uh, he's here at Books and Books today because he's being honored uh, by the National Book Foundation as a 5 under 35 honoree. He was chosen by Colson Whitehead. And we at Books and Books, along with the Miami Book Fair, each year bring the nominees down and celebrate them uh, with a reading and a talk and uh, just to generally honor them. So welcome. Thank you books. so much. Uh, thank you for letting me come to this beautiful bookstore. Oh my God. Uh, thanks. It's thanks. so crazy beautiful. Yeah. Well, as you know, independent booksellers have been fans of yours from the moment we got those first galleys. And uh, Friday Black was an Indie Next pick, as you know. Yeah. And um, booksellers across the country were buzzing about the book even before it got published. So I personally was thrilled to see the reaction that it had. Yeah, I was, you know, I, I say it all the time. I think independent booksellers, you know, and people really hand-selling books kind of made all that's happened with the book happen. Uh, and, I, and I feel super grateful to booksellers for embracing it uh, as my debut, you know, embracing it just on, you know, I guess connecting with the work and sort of like forcing into people's hands. I've had so many booksellers be like, I can't tell you how many people I forced to buy this book, you know, and I, and I've heard that, you know, all across the country actually. And so, um, you know, I'm super grateful for the independent, um, booksellers from the beginning, even before the book came out, like you said, the buzz and the Indie next pick and all these things, but then, you know, they kind of really followed through and like actively forcing it into people's hands. We really did. And, and it was a favorite <laughs> among all of the booksellers here. But the other thing that was so astonishing really, it, as, as, your first book um, as a debut, uh, everything from the Tommy Orange Review in the New York Times yeah. to George Saunders to Lynn Tillman, yeah. um, Charles Yu, Mary Carr. I've read so, so many different takes 
on this remarkable book, then I'm curious as to what your take is on it. How would you describe Friday Black? Um, it's a it's a good it's a good question and one that I actually don't get asked that often. But, uh, you know, and, and the thing that I that I think of most, but it's funny because it's it it feels like it gets lost in what I think people attach to that is like the more maybe explosive, dystopic, maybe surrealist sci-fi elements. It's kind of like um it's a it's like a story of like where i'm from spring valley rockin county and like a family sort of you know often you know it's, i think it's stories about um young like a young first generation experience a lot of times the stories i think i think of them as that um and uh sort of you know dealing with uh the problems that might come up with any family and then it's also just uh you know imagination going wherever it wants to go so like you know i, I i'm not super I, I i'm not anti any of the labels that are attached to this book I, I embrace them all i think it's cool to be sci-fi or dystopic or dystopia or whatever um but for me i um for me it is a lot about uh i don't know family and like sort of trying and uh i don't know just uh well, trying to figure out ways to like make it well, you you and I are both fans of George Saunders. Yeah. And and what I thought, you know, in a very succinct way, what George says about your book is that you're using fiction to ask and answer big, urgent questions. Yeah, I'm I'm big on the, the asking the questions, especially the, the ask the asking more than answering. You know, I think, um, and that sometimes the question is like, why are we so inclined to like hurting each other why are we so okay with sort of stepping on each other's heads metaphorically and sometimes literally <laughs> you know well the 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 thing that interests me too is kind of the origin story of your writing i read somewhere i forget where it was that you were particularly moved by a horrible incident and you wrote a kind of screed and when you were in college mm -hmm. hoping that you would distribute it and it would change things. Yeah, yeah. When I, I was in college when Trayvon Martin was murdered, and in response, uh, a good friend of mine and me created this pamphlet, and we were going to distribute it around the campus. You were at SUNY? Was I was it? at SUNY Albany, yeah. yeah. And um, we, uh, you know, we made it independently, and in the middle of the night, let's say 2, 3 in the morning, we, like, distributed them all over the place. We scattered them. And I went to bed in this sort of, sort of self-righteous kind of feeling of, like, I, I don't know, Help, like happiness, like you know, feeling like I had fixed racism. I kind of like went like this, then I like, yep, we did it, you know. <laughs> and uh, I woke up and realized we did not do it. <laughs> um, I thought there's gonna be some big upheaval and some big, you know, crazy revolution that we had ushered in. Unsurprisingly, now I guess nothing happened. We had pretty much just littered, really. I saw, I actually saw with my own eyes a janitor throwing out some of them, and I remember not really liking that feeling, and also. You know, but also knowing that I did feel something real. That is, I had made something anonymously. Those pamp the pamps were anonymous, and I and I still wanted it to exist. So that feeling is now kind of a lighthouse for me. I I, I search for that feeling of, will this do something even if I am not my name? That is, is not attached to it. Um, so that's important for me. And what also what I learned is like, you know, you can't just try to give everyone all the answers. I think that pamphlet was like me on a hill saying, this is how you fix yourself. And now I'm more like how to like asking. I'm just like you know what can we do? So so from that pamphlet, um, and you were an undergraduate at the yeah. time. So t tell me a little bit about the journey from there. How did you then 
decide to mm-hmm. move into fiction. Yeah, point. so I I want to say when I did that pamphlet, I was I had it was a little bit after I'd started even thinking that being a writer was actually possible. Um, Lynn Tillman was there. You mentioned her earlier, Professor Lynn Tillman, who was like my first real mentor. Um, I like I learned. She, I went to her office one day. Like I want to be a fiction writer, and she was like okay, and she handed me like three PDFs of a bunch of different writers. And she told me to like annotate them and come back. And I did that. And then we did that pretty much for the rest of my time there, you know. And I took workshops with her as well. But um, you know, she really took me under her wing in that way, in a way that I really appreciated. And also worked with my stories, you know, um, eviscerated my stories <laughs> in her sort of red ink. Uh, she's a you know pretty intense editor, and it was good for me to have that early on though, because I think some people are pretty like I don't know, I'm not squeamish about that. I, I don't I, I, I view that as a kind of a love language actually and so um, I learned to embrace that and working with her I was able to get two stories that I that were good enough to get me to the MFA program at Syracuse University but it's it's it had to have started as a reader as well oh yeah because you know your 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 stories are genre um, defying you don't really know where they come from but it's clear clear to me at least that you've had so many different influences yeah so what was your early reading life like yeah before even before i got to college you know in my house reading was was cool uh my older sister you know was we made reading like a thing that was like we all sort of like engaged in and so i'm from the harry potter i guess generation you know i've been in the mall with like the empty glasses and like John you would have come to our Harry Potter parties. Oh yeah, yeah. I was at I was at the parties. I was at the Harry Potter parties. You know, I was at that. Um, also, and me and my friends, we kind of like read like a lot of like sort of. This is like when I'm younger, like serial, sci-fi or fantasy fiction. Right. I can I did the Pendragon thing. I did like the Garth Nicks, a bunch of Garth Nicks stuff. Um, the Japanese manga as well. I'm huge on manga. Yeah, I still am in anime and manga. Um, so yeah, those things like that, and you know, whatever I could get, you know, things that were engaging, things that were interesting to me, and you know, but also in manga specifically was important because I think it showed me that you can have a lot of fun and also engage with pretty like intense philosophical sort of truths or not, you know. And we kind of joke about how manga, like every fight, has like a, like a debate between the two people. They're like actively debating in between fighting, and so you know, I think it reminded me or at least taught me that you can have like fantasy and fiction and fun is also a vessel for you know serious conversation no it's so interesting to me you know since i've been doing this and also talking to writers how many writers have been influenced by manga by comics by by fantasy by other sorts of things yeah and i think we're seeing it now in the kind of writing that you're doing as well which writer did you read um, which established writer did you read, which made you realize that you could expand expand the boundaries of a typical story? Yeah. Um, in some ways, that's that idea is why George Saunders was so huge for me. Um, did you go? Did you go to Syracuse knowing he was? Yeah, be that's there why I went there specifically I because there. he was there. I went there specifically. Um, Lynn Tillman gave me the story. So, Winky and then Sea Oak. Sea Oak is like pretty much why I got an MFA at Syracuse. Um, and, and in that story, Sea Oak, you know, uh, Aunt is undead. My favorite literary, almost, I always I joke about it. My, one of my favorite literary sentences ever is from that story. And it goes, um, 
she's the, the line is show your cock she said and died again and that's like <laughs> you know and that's in the serious literary story you know right, right. and i think he was huge for me for that reason that he showed me you you can be taken seriously be doing high level work and be funny and not be bound by strict realism and you can just do what you want you know so he became another mentor as well and he became like one of my most important mentors yeah. and especially thinking about the this book actually entering entering the world you know he was my thesis advisor for what would eventually become Friday Black. I've always, you know, I've met him a number of times, and he always seems like one of the most generous people around. And tell me about him as a, as a, as a professor, as someone that you worked with closely. Um, yeah, generosity is the word that comes to mind first. Generosity of spirit. Um, he's, he's just super kind. And that manifests in a lot of ways. It manifests in the attention he's willing to put into your stories. It manifests in the time he takes just to see you, you know. But as a teacher, he's also really good at, like, doing something that I think maybe comes from his engineering background or more, or, like, you know, it's not engineering, but, like, his more science, geology background. Uh, he's really good at um, uh, breaking down a story to, like, the parts mm-hmm. in, like, the sort of mechanical way. Mm-hmm. And and I, when I say mechanical, I don't mean in a way that it lacks heart because he's actually really good at like finding the heart of your story. But he'll break it down into these pieces so you can see it a little bit more objectively almost. And it becomes more about an A, B, C, D thing as opposed to like, oh, this part, you know, and he'll break it down. I'm thinking like, okay, this part is doing this. And it's really got great for it. It made, it helped me be a str- much stronger reader because he'll do that for everybody in your workshop. And so seeing him do that for other people's stories it helped me understand and conceive of stories in a different kind of way, and it helped my editorial eye a lot. You know, he's a great, he's, he's, you know, he's the real deal all around. Yeah, if I had to imagine, after reading Friday Black, if I had to imagine somebody who you should study under would be George Saunders, yeah. based on his work as well. Yeah, that's my, you know. And it's a, a great match. It's my guy. And, like, you know, and, even, and, 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 and the stories, a lot of stories I was writing, even before I really knew of him, were already in that, that realm so I just got you know it's yeah it was kind of like I think of it as even like you know had to have happened like a destiny thing you know I feel very lucky let's talk a little bit about the title story Friday Black yeah it comes actually also from some of the work that you were doing as a kid working in the mall right Mm -hmm. so talk about that a little bit yeah I worked in the mall for a while it's actually the only real job I have had besides teaching you know, where did you lived in? I lived you lived in, in Westchester. I lived in Rockland County, which in is right Rockland near Westchester. Oh. Um, and your family is Ghanaian. My family is Ghanaian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I lived so I lived in Queens first. We moved up to Rockland County, and I, lived, I worked in the Palisades Mall there. And also in college, I actually worked in the Craftsgate Mall all through college too in Albany. But um, yeah, and I worked in the same store in both those malls. But um, yeah, so you saw mall life. Up close. I saw, I, no, I lived it for like a very long time, yeah, no. <laughs> you know, right, taking all the way through, you know, take a bus to the mall, take a bus back. And um, yeah, I, I, there's a lot of, you know, dead time in the mall. I, I got good at imagining being elsewhere. And also, you also, there's a performance of sincerity and earnestness, which is interesting. And I, I think about the relationship between, of, between fiction and doing that sort of thing. Um, Working in the mall and and having to engage on this level where you don't care versus what it looks like when you do care and still trying to engage, I think I learned a lot actually. 
but I hated it. <laughs> I did not like working in the mall. It's, it's deadening, isn't it? It yeah, it is soul killing. It will like it kind of crushes you, you know. I, and I and one of the stories talks about that. You know, you count one thousand four hundred and twenty-two pairs of jeans. They tell right. you they're supposed to be one thousand four hundred and twenty-six, and so you got to count them all again. And it's just you know. No, it's funny. My my first experience <laughs> as a bookseller when I knew I had to get some experience doing it many 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 years ago when there was still. A B Dalton, if you, mm-hmm. you may not remember those, but there were chains, little bookstores in malls. Yeah, and I worked in one while I was going through graduate school because mm-hmm. I always knew I wanted to be a bookseller, and they would try to get me to do things like count the jeans, but mm-hmm. count the books. Yeah, but I didn't want to just count them; I wanted to sell them. Yeah, yeah. And I was constantly fighting with the the management who wanted me just to take a printout and just walk through the store, and then if I had to eat one more. Stuffed potato for mm. lunch, you know, one of those mm-hmm. takeout, you know, one of the mm-hmm. the mall places. I would have been so I related to. A it's lot hard. Of it's hard. I, for me, it was like the little choose two meats Chinese food, quote unquote <laughs> Chinese food that's in the right, mall. Right. I was. I ate a lot of those. I'm probably gonna pay for them like for the rest of my life eating the food there. But um, <laughs> yeah, inventory is like one of the worst words. Uh, inventory. But you see people in a way <laughs> when you're working retail, you see people in a way that is very unusual. Yeah, you get a very particular kind of thing. And, a whole, and you see a whole bunch of different types of people. Completely. And they just come to you. And sometimes there are opportunities to like kind of help somebody maybe. And uh, I, I tried to lean really hard into those times because it was um, kind of what made it okay, you know? Sure. When maybe someone comes in. Uh, I remember, you know, she, she wanted, this is in Albany, and she wanted all like clothes with no color, all gray, and they couldn't have any patches or any designs or anything. And, you know, she could tell it was kind of, like, intense, and I didn't know really why. And you're kind of walking with her and trying to find something. And eventually, they sort, she sort of tells you, like, it's for her partner who's in um, incarcerated. Uh-huh. You know, and they have, like, very strict rules about what can and can't be worn. And then, you know, you have a chance to, like, maybe make someone's difficult time a little bit easier. And, uh, yeah, I tried to lean into those times. Well, I like the fact that you internalized your experience there this crazy political time that we're in now and bring all of that out through story, which has now developed a gigantic readership. Uh, so that pamphlet that you wrote years ago as a precursor, yeah, it kind of found its way through this fiction right. that you've written. Yeah, and it's, um, it's, it's crazy to think about it because it's, it, it's scary you know, now to think, oh, wait, there is a readership, which is new, and that's still new for me. The book came out in October. So, so where do you think you developed the social consciousness as well, um, and being so attuned to all of what was going on around you? It's a, it's a, it's a good question. My parents are, you know, my father and my mother. They're pretty engaged with the world. So, what do they do for my father? Um, they both, they, they both work in the same capacity they used to. My father was a lawyer. My mother was a teacher. Um, and, you know, so I guess, you know, and those jobs are sort of, I guess, inherently sort of connected to maybe being aware of some some sort of social issues, especially, again, in my youth, they worked in, like, my mother was in Harlem and my father also worked in the city. Um, so, so talk, social, political issues were discussed in your house mm-hmm. as you were growing And up. even, yeah, and, and maybe even before I had, like, an ear for it, you know, on some level, again, they they are themselves immigrants, you know, so I their identity is now politicized in a certain kind of way that I wasn't always aware of, but I, as I grew older, I started to understand it, you know, again, as like, these are both Ghanaian immigrants. 
Um, I think they, I think also kind of the, the way just being raised to have like a sense of like right and wrong, you know, um, it helped me sort of say when you, when you have a sense about that, it's kind of hard not to have a sort of, I, you know, stance about things socially. And so that's why like with my fiction, I don't actually necessarily, well, it's back and forth because I do know I want work to do something that's going to change, like important for the world. But that's it. When I'm actually in the moment writing stories, I write what I think is fun and what I think is engaging, well, what I think is important. You, I think somewhere you said, and I really love this, where you said, um, sometimes hyperbole comes from saying the truth plainly. It helps me get directly to the point. Yeah. And so sometimes, yeah, sometimes I'm just sort of saying what is, what is, and it becomes very political. You know, I'm not going to not talk about the fact that people that look like me are being murdered in the street, you know. Like, I see that, you know. No, but then you take it to, in order to make the point even more forcefully, you do something. In that case, that I might not use a, a chainsaw. lot of writers do it. Maybe yeah. there'll be a chainsaw instead of a gun. And, exactly. that, like, will, that, and that makes the conversation change a little bit. But um, in my mind, that's just sort of, uh, you know, that, hy- that hyperbole, in that case, is sort of just changing the flavor of the violence as opposed to, like, even the intensity, in my opinion. You know, like, someone with a gun is... It's probably more violent than someone with it. Has more potential to harm than someone with a chainsaw, you know. In reality, but we're used to the gun, and so it's more horrific thinking of the chainsaw. The chainsaw scares us in a kind of yeah. way because it's unfamiliar and it has a sound and it's Freddy kind of, you know, style. But um, but if, and I've said I say it over and I've said it a bunch of times. Like if you kill someone with a gun or a chainsaw, they're dead either way. You know, <laughs> just true. as dead either way. Well, now what I'm excited about is you're now going to be able to take your sensibility, this remarkable sensibility, um, and express it in film and television. Yeah. So tell me what's happening with Friday Black as a film. Um, we're working on it right now. Uh, and I mean, this, a couple of different things are happening and you have like an inside scoop on some of it. But um, this title, the title story, the titular story, I like that word titular because I learned at a conference and it makes me feel smart. Um, the titular story is going to be, you know, we got options to be made into a feature length film. And I'm actually trying to write that. So I'm actually going to be writing that. Um, another one of the stories got option for feature length film that I will not be writing, but I'm like consulting. Oh, a second story. Another did. did, which is, yeah, that's cool. I, like, Great. that's not announced yet. So I guess I don't know if I'm yeah, supposed to. Cool. But then also the rest of them are going to be, we're going to try to do like an anthology series. I know we talked earlier, it's, uh, people listening to me might not know, but my sister, Marcy, runs a TV studio called Skydance. Yeah. And um, they got very excited by your work. Yeah. And uh, you can talk a little bit about what you're going to be doing with them. Yeah, I'm super excited to be working with Skydance in in conjunction with Outlier Society. Um, And Michael B. Jordan. Which is Michael B. Jordan's production company. And... um, yeah, it's exciting. I, I, uh, we're doing the pilot stuff now, or I'm like writing wise, not filming anything. Um, and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's exciting kind of new sort of space for me to occupy. You'll be developing a new muscle, really. Yeah, mm-hmm. new, absolutely. A new muscle. It's a absolutely. Kind of writing. And it's it? really fun, and it's, and it is, it's a challenge, you know. Which is, I, I, I get, for me, writing is fun when it is a challenge, and I've learned that about myself. I like it when it is like a little tough. Because to me, that's where the power comes from. So yeah, I'm super. Exci- I'm really excited, actually. Well, about you've that. got a marvelous showrunner on that. Isn't yeah, it? we have D, um, and she's a uh, you know, 
I'm just excited all around, and it's well, cool. Well, you're going to be able to take your some of your characters, I guess, and have it as an ongoing series. Mm-hmm. Too. Mm-hmm. I think it's Hulu. Hulu, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Hulu's who we're trying to like work with. So what's next? Beyond the television and film stuff, are you working on a novel? Are you working on more stories? Yeah. Um, I'm, I am working on a novel. It's codenamed Top Secret Novel. Uh, and um, I, I, I also have stories that I'm working on, too, and I have a bunch of ideas for stories that I'm... I'm like, I can't wait till like everything kind of dies down to get really back into like writer mode. Um, so that's coming right up too. But um, novel, probably after that will be more stories, which I don't usually say. So that's like a thing. But yeah, after that, it'll be more stories again, presumably. Um, or maybe not. We'll see what happens. But yeah, novel next. Um, and yeah, whatever comes after that, we'll see. But it is, we, we made a production company for this stuff. So maybe we'll be doing other stuff that isn't necessarily. What's the name of your to. production company? The Season Cometh. I like saying that because I haven't said that before. I like people, The Season Cometh is uh, the I name like of the production that. company. It's great. Mm-hmm. So tell me, you've been writing. I don't even know if you have time for it, but what are you reading these days? Oh, no, I'm reading. I you got to be reading something. What are you reading um, these days as well? Uh, right now, I'm reading a book that you can't get. So, should I mention it now? Is it sure. Like, is it a, a galley? Yeah, I have a galley, but it's not even a galley. I have like the thing before a galley, wow. and it's great. Uh, it's called. Um, it's, a, it's by Alexandra Chang. It's called Days of Distraction. Um, she's a graduate of Syracuse MFA program. I was reading on the airplane. Thinking, is it her first? Is it her? It's first? her first book, and it's like a. It's a beautiful book. I'm Days so of Distraction. Days of Distraction by Alexandra Chang. Chang. Novel? It's a novel. It's a beautiful novel. Do you know who's publishing it? Echo. Echo. Oh, great. Yeah, beautiful novel. Dan Halpern at Echo and all those folks. Mm -hmm. Great folks. Um, And so that's that's one thing that I that I'm I'm reading. I was reading that today in the airplane. But uh, Family of Origin by C. J. Hauser. I read that a little bit ago. Beautiful book as well. She's a great author. well, I'm gonna I'm gonna search these out. I'm gonna look, yeah, I'm Family look of Origin it. is that one. I'm gonna cool look book, both both novels. Cool. Um, and and yeah, so those are two things. Well, I know that we have to get you going because I hear the event sort of getting gathering. <laughs> but I just have to say that I, you know, Tommy wrote that amazing piece about you in the New York Times. Yeah, shout out to Tommy Orange. Yes. That's like he's he has since become a friend of mine. Oh, he's when I so first great. met him, I was like after because of that review, I was like, I probably gotta name my firstborn Tommy. You know. <laughs> Well, he's another guy. I mean, with there, there, he, with a debut, he just, he just knocked it out. I had a call with him right before this, actually. Oh, really? We're Did gonna you? do an event in San Francisco. How are you? Mm-hmm. Great. He's a man. Yeah, he's great. And uh, but I agree with him that you know, with with Friday Black, uh, as Tommy says, it's a debut that announces a new and necessary American voice. And talking to you, I can see why. So, I thank you, Nana, for being on. Um, the literary life and I hope to see you far into the future thank you so much for having me it's uh, it's a pleasure absolutely mine too thank you thanks